in Chicago, two comedian skeptics named Andy and Art were mysteriously abducted by the illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist known only as Mr. Mr. Bunker. Bunker. The following serves as a record of Bunker's attempt to convince non-believers of the truth about conspiracies and paranormal activity. Andy and Art give an uninterrupted presentation and verdict on the plausibility of these offbeat topics, delivering what they call the, the whole enchilada. Will Mr. Bunker convince these two skeptics any of this is real? Will it convince you? Welcome to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Art Stone. And with me, as always, is your co-host, Andy Hart. Art, I'm back in the bunker, and I'm ready to throw down with some facts about today's weird, bizarre topic. (laughs) Hey, Andy, will you quit monkeying around? Art, I'm sorry. I thought it would be fun to ape a professional wrestler in this uh, intro to the show. Oh, man. You are a goof. (laughs) I shit in my hand and throw it around. It's a problem. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. I'm not allowed in the library anymore. Yeah, hey, here comes trouble, huh? <laughs> this guy. <laughs> Andy, I, a yeah. uh, little bit about me, you might not know. I am freshly showered right now. Wow. Bunk Funkers. Oh, great. You freshly shaving showered. your body here? You know, you Andy, shower? I didn't, but I sent you an invite to come shower with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I declined. You said no, you declined. I don't get it. I'm doing no shower August. Oh, uh, so that's the reason. It's not for charity. <laughs> Want to make that very clear. Yeah. <laughs> As <laughs> people, people usually do no shave November and stuff like that for charity. It's not for charity. It's not for awareness of anything. Yeah. I don't feel like showering for a month. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Can't make me. That's like when everybody was doing the, the ALS ice bucket challenge. You were just kind of doing the Andy Hart pudding challenge. <laughs> where you dumped a huge load of pudding on yourself and you were like, it's not a challenge. No one else is doing this. It's not for raising awareness. It's just me just doing my thing. <laughs> me covered in pudding. I'm not ta- I'm not tagging anybody. I'm not challenging anybody. <laughs> Get yourself uh, a snack pack and have fun is all I can say. Well, you know, Andy, one of the fun things about me showering is that maybe I like to shower because... You like to masturbate? Me- yeah, I do like to masturbate, but also uh-huh. millions of years ago, our ancestors liked to masturbate in a semi-aquatic or aquatic environment. Oh, yeah, that? yeah. Nothing's better than cranking one off while you're neck deep in water. <laughs> yeah. Algae-filled, just nasty fucking pre what is it? Pylenocene era, fucking million of year, millions of years ago. Water. Mm. Yummy. Drink it up. Prim- 
the primordial ooze. Yeah. Uh, and I'm primordial oozing. Yeah, that's right. I've got primordial ooze just thinking yeah. about it. There it is. Uh, well, I'm sure that plenty of listeners have primordial ooze coming out of their ears listening to us fucking talk. <laughs> Today's topic, Andy, why we're talking about this, why we're talking about showering and cranking off and aquatic is because we're talking about the aquatic ape theory. That's right. Um, this is That's right. A-A-T or A-A-H, the mm-hmm. aquatic ape hypothesis, because some anthropologists... This is highly debated. I mean, it's highly debated, but it's also like it's seen as a form of pseudoscience. Um, it's it's you know it's not recognized by the modern uh, anthropology community at large. You know, and we'll we'll talk about why. And but but this is the theory that we might have descended from some sort of aquatic, you know, semi-aquatic ape-like last common ancestor sort of hominid. And maybe also they could have been mermaids. Right. (laughs) Now, look, I know that immediately doesn't sound like science. I mean, you're probably saying it was obviously, but but bear with us. Like, yeah, it's a fair hearing. Sure. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, If you want to get right to all of that hot. Wet and wild. I mean, slip and slide fun aquatic ape theory action. You can look in the show notes. You'll find a timestamp to take you right to that research. Um, but first, Andy. Y'all are going to go bananas for this episode. I mean, yeah, it is a good one. You're going to go ape. <laughs> I mean, you're going to be looking like... You're gonna. You're just gonna go ape wild. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we really, we really tried to grill this topic uh, and get <laughs> the most Christ. out of it, and I think we really did. Well, you bonono, you bono, you bonobos, you bonobos, you bonobos, <laughs> you bonobos, you bono, bonob. Knows how we do it, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> it's there. It's there. You get it. Look, I know we seem like we're chimps, like we're screw offs <laughs> or whatever, but we take this stuff seriously. <laughs> Come on, give us a break. Uh, <laughs> I think you got them all. I don't want to be a buffoon. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we got the monkeys to success here. Yeah. Um, well, Andy, Andy, first, the thing is that we got to talk about uh, where in the world is Mr. Bunker every week. He's somewhere else all over the world while we're on quarantine yeah. doing the podcast outside of the bunker. Mm-hmm. And he is uh, traveling the world, having fun adventures, cooking up schemes, you know, dunking on us, getting dunked on himself. Yeah. So yep. um, today uh, this is this- no different. Yeah, this week's no different. Mr. B's out traveling the globe. Uh, this week, a little bit of a reset. Um, you know, he dunked on us recently, uh, and he got dunked on pretty hard recently. And I think we all enjoyed a bit of schadenfreude uh, about the whole situation, depending on which team you're on. You felt it at different times, but I think we all enjoyed it. Um, but now uh, we're sort of back to neutral. 
um, with Mr. Bunker this week. Uh, we got another postcard from him. And for those of you, I know everybody's been listening, everybody's been keeping up. But in case you haven't, if this is your first time, you're just getting into this. Uh, every week, Mr. Bunker sends us a postcard, uh, which is basically a picture of himself showing what he's doing at that time. And on the back, he's written a little note to us telling us what's up and what we should look into for the week. Um, so this week, again, no different. We get a postcard from him. Uh, kind of uh, difficult to tell what he's doing, right? Yeah, um, a little bit. Because he's, there's like a, his face is illuminated by like a pinprick of light. And otherwise, the whole frame is just dark. Uh, and he's smiling maniacally into the camera. Uh, he's got these cheese and, you know, he's got this grin. Uh, and it turns out that he's in East Africa. And what he's done is he's buried himself in the ground uh, at an archaeological dig site. Uh, and he's buried himself, I guess he's hoping that people that archaeologists will dig him up and think that he's the mummified remains of an early hominid ancestor. <laughs> I mean, and he has the skin for a mummy. Yeah, he totally does. wrinkly, just gross, dusty skin. <laughs> it's, like, it's like really tan, but it's like oh, too yeah. tan, mm -hmm. uh, but not burnt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, he's like George Hamilton. Um, <laughs> so he's, he's buried himself underground uh, hoping to be mistaken for the, a mummified or fossilized remains of an early hominid ancestor. He's also buried himself with some artifacts, which he thinks will throw off the egghead archaeologists. Uh, he's got one of those, like, those Chinese horse masks, you know, the really scary horse masks. Do you find yeah. those masks scary, Art? They're a little disturbing, but they're more silly to me. Yeah, they're silly. Um but I wouldn't want to see it in the middle of the night. No, 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 no. I wouldn't want to wake up. Wake up from a sound sleep with somebody wearing that at the foot of the bed. You know, it's a little bit like an I spy, Andy. Like I saw, a I saw a French horn in there. There's a French horn in there. He's got, <laughs> yeah. uh, he's got, <laughs> he's got a, you know, a program from the 1982 World's Fair. Uh, <laughs> he's got he's a got super soaker. Yeah, a super soaker. <laughs> They're gonna um, think ancient hominids are running around with super soakers, and it's full of cat piss. Uh, he's got, uh, he's got a bag of Doritos, uh, half eaten, cool ranch. Yep. Uh, so he's gonna, you know, he's trying to convince them, I guess, that cool, cool ranch Doritos is one of the primary fuel sources for brain development in humans. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm sure the Frito-Lay company or whoever owns Doritos would love to hear that. Uh, and he's wearing a Magnum condom. <laughs> Around his foot. Yeah. Yeah, not on his penis. Uh, so he's having a great time. He's underground. Put a little hole in the dirt so he could breathe. Um, and I guess we'll wait and see if... Uh, yeah. There's a new a new hominid ancestor added to the the list, Bunkalopithecine. Yeah, Bunkalopithecine. Bunkalopithecus. Right after Aus 
right after Australopithecus, there'll be Bunkalopithecus. These he's trying to become the last common ancestor, the the link, the the this is the missing link that yeah. that anthropologists always talk about. This 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 like perfect link between when we were fucking like between the apes, and the hominids, and then later, you know, the the classic Homo erectus and Homo sapiens, right? So yeah, he's he's trying to he's, be bunkfoot. Bunkfoot. Missing Which link. really sounds, yeah, like it sounds more like something like athlete's foot. Like you don't want to get into it. Like a you, you stepped on a nasty shower drain at the YMCA and you got bunk foot. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, yeah. It's either, it's either something like that or it's like a birth defect where your foot gets like bent <laughs> in the birth canal or something like, oh, I got bunk. I had bunk foot. Got it from birth. Mom had a real well, narrow birth canal. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, I mean, this is this has got to be one of the biggest schemes he's ever tried to pull. Yeah, and I mean, seems like a low percentage, frankly. <laughs> like, are our, our, our archaeologists going to dig that up and be like, oh, yeah, I found it. Like, he's clearly alive. Yeah. <laughs> they could have noticed that he's breathing <laughs> and having bodily functions. <laughs> I mean, these are, I mean, are you sure they're probably eager to, but like, what are they going to do? Like, oh, he's alive. And he's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> it's foolproof. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not. I guess they're like, well, it checks out. Well, I, guess, I guess that was probably just gas escaping from the corpse. <laughs> What's this? Old gas. Oh my goodness. A half, half eaten bag of Doritos. My goodness. I guess it turns out we were we weren't descended from mermaids or or great apes. We were descended from gamers. <laughs> the archaeologist just goes into like on his knees, just like screaming at the sky. No, we did this to ourselves. <laughs> Time is a circle. Oh my god. He's going to turn the scientific world upside down with this foolproof plan. Yeah, this is ironclad. Well, good luck, Mr. Bunker, honestly. Godspeed, Mr. B. Uh, speaking of foolproof and ironclad plans. <laughs> oh, baby. Oh, shots fired already. Oh, I already can't even wait. <laughs> We got the bunker alarm. Man. Oh, oh, you were talking about it. Oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> okay. Oh, the boy. bunker alarm. Yeah, that is foolproof. I'm glad. Okay, the bunker. I think Andy's malfunctioning a little bit here. We need to. <laughs> I need a little more grease in my gears. <laughs> um, we got to do the bunker now. The bunker alarm is for. Um, you know, it's for, it's, it's, it's a way for us to give shout outs, to give back to our listeners who either send stuff in or maybe they, uh, you know, they donate to the Patreon or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they just kind of interact with us in, in some different way. And this week, this episode topic, the aquatic ape theory was submitted to us by Connor. Connor. Connor submitted this, uh, this episode and said that they think it is um 
It's a perfect topic, and I they hope that the topic is worthy of the bunker alarm. Oh, Connor. <laughs> oh, yeah, but you think we just give bunker alarms out to anybody? <laughs> well, we do. Connor, welcome right. to the club. Yeah, you're right. You're 100% right. We are that easy. <laughs> uh, look, look, Bunk Funkers, we've been telling you, if you just tell us you want the bunker alarm, we'll give it to you. <laughs> That's true. But, hey, Connor is deserving of it because uh, they sent in this this uh, this great topic. And um, yeah. so, Connor, uh, thanks for sending that in. And here is your perfectly synced bunker alarm. See, what we have is we have a piece, a pristine piece of bunk tech mm-hmm. technology here that lets me uh, code in or let's you know Andy has one as well he can code yeah. in a a a sound effect that will play through the mm-hmm. podcast equipment and it is perfectly synced up it is um pitch perfect i mean anyone with with perfect pitch or you know really good ears for music they'll tell you this is perfectly synced up yeah this is uh i mean this is down to the the micron or whatever i mean computers can't even separate these you know the alarm yeah. you, you know right. it's it's perfectly in sync and uh, yeah, this week's no different. So let's queue up here a uh, let's queue up here a. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I got I got I actually I got one I got one coded in oh, real okay, quick here. Okay. Andy, you want me? You mind if I code it in real quick? No, here? yeah, yeah, please do. Okay, everybody, just go boop beep boop boop beep boop beep boop beep boop beep beep boop 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 all right, that was just uh, you know some. Sorry if you heard some extra sound effects there, bunk fuckers. That was just me. Coding up the uh, the bunker alarm. So here yeah, we go for Connor, a perfectly synced bunker alarm. Here we go in three, two, one. Wow. Wow. That's beautiful. Worth every penny, the bunk tech bunker alarm. I mean... There you go. It's perfect. I mean, this is perfect equipment. This is it's bunk uh, tech. Yeah, I mean, I can't get any better than this. Well, that was the bunker alarm. If you would like a bunker alarm in your honor, all you got to do is uh, email us and ask, and uh, or send in an episode topic <laughs> and ask, or uh, donate to our Patreon page. Patreon. Um, for just five dollars a month, you can get. Access to our Patreon-only show, Andy and Art Debunked. It is uh, like this show, but even looser. <laughs> if you can <laughs> if imagine. You can even imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, you get a Bunker Alarm shout-out. You get access to our Discord channel where you can chat with Andy and I oh. all day long. Oh. Um, what else? There's some other stuff in there. Yeah. So... Uh, <laughs> Trust us, there's good stuff. <laughs> it's good stuff. But, you know, you get access to a new episode of our pi- Patreon-only show every single month and in our debunk. So find it at, at patreon.com slash MrBunkerPod. And, uh, hey, if you got the means and you want to support the show, it's a great way. Everybody wins. We would We would be grateful, and we'll have some fun along the way. Yeah. Well, speaking of fun along the way here, Andy. Hey, thanks, um, Connor. Thanks, Connor. Uh, we have to get to got to get to this episode. I mean, this, this is a is hot a, topic. This is a hot topic. I mean, and this is not one you find in the mall. No. Because, listen, let's put a little disclaimer here. Okay. If you're like a hardcore anthropology egghead, I mean, that's fine. But you got to understand, 
You're not listening to a hardcore anthropology egghead show. I mean, this is a show for, you know, hosted by two really cool guys who have their life together. Yeah, yeah. definitely not two losers who have no direction or purpose in this world, despite being above the age of 30. Yeah. And I mean, you just got to understand that, that that's the audience that we're playing to here. So, um, you know, if we miss if we miscalculate some stuff or if we misspeak on some kind of anthropo anthropology, uh, you know, maybe we call something a hominid or a homo sapien when it's not the, you know, I mean, we're going to try our best, but we're going to give you the whole enchilada on the aquatic ape theory. And hey, feel, so free, let's, to, let's, feel free to burn us down in an email or a tweet <laughs> or an Instagram DM. Sure. Why not? We're fine with um, that. <laughs> we can take it. We love the abuse. Um, Let's dive right in here, Andy. We got to oh! get to it. And let's go diving for dive. the, the whole enchilada on the aquatic ape theory right here, right now on Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast. <laughs> that was under the water. Yeah, that's what it sounded like. <laughs> Andy, this week we're serving up a hot plate of the whole enchilada for our lovely bunk funkers because, Andy, this topic is hotly debated amongst the anthropology community. Art, you do not want to get involved in an anthropology fight. Trust me. They'll bury you alive and nobody is going to find those bones. <laughs> Andy, I can't help it. The topic today is the aquatic ape theory. Um, there are many steadfast believers in this theory, or, you know, I'll say this up top, hypothesis, rather, as the very theory of it being a theory is debated. <laughs> that is, it's it's that hot, Andy. This is debateception. But here's the thing. We're going to call it interchangeably, you know, theory, hypothesis. We'll usually refer to it as AAT. But why is it so controversial? Why does it get anthropologists undies all bunched up <laughs> and how does it relate to us being possibly descended from mermaids <laughs> Ooh, bet you didn't know i was gonna say that no. so what is this theory aquatic ape theory slash hypothesis or aaat as we'll often call it throughout the rest of the episode says humans went through an aquatic or semi-aquatic stage in our evolution and that this accounts for many features seen in human anatomy and physiology. While modern anthropology suggests that apes descended from the trees to the forests and then migrated to the savannas where they evolved into ancient humans, AAT proponents believe there is a missing step in which ancient humans had a fully aquatic or semi-aquatic stage of evolution before emerging as the Homo sapiens we know today. Who started this theory? Well, the hypothesis was initially proposed by the marine biologist Alistair Hardy in 1960. However, Hardy had come up with the theory decades earlier, but feared that it would cause a lot of controversy, especially for him in his young academic career. So he kept it to himself for a long time. 
until the 1960s, when he was on top in his academic field, and he no longer feared or cared about the repercussions. So he gave a talk at the British Sub-Aqua Club, a scuba diving club, uh, and... <laughs> about it and boy <laughs> was he right about the controversy part because the head honchos of the world of anthropology were not pleased when the theory was later published in an article in new scientist it read quote my th my thesis is that a branch of this prim primitive ape stock was forced by competition from life in the trees to feed on the seashells and to hunt for food shellfish sea urchins etc in the shallow waters off the coast. I suppose that they were forced into the water just as we have been have seen happen in so many other groups of terrestrial animals. I'm imagining this happening in the warmer parts of the world, in the tropical seas, where man could stand being in the water for relatively long periods, that is, several hours at a stretch. End quote. Jolly, jolly good show there, Andy. <laughs> Thank you, Governor. It was later popularized in the 1970s and 80s by writer Elaine Morgan. Now, Morgan was an Oxford grad in English. Uh, maybe you've heard of it. They invented the comma. <laughs> and a TV script writer. Now, she entered the public sphere in 1972 with her book, Descent of Woman, which also happens to be the name of my sequel to Scent of a Woman, starring Al Pacino. <laughs> oh, I've seen that script, uh, Bunkfuckers. It's good. Oh, yeah. Descent of a <laughs> Woman. <laughs> Hooah! Hooah! A lot of deodorant humor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's the secret to your success. Yeah. Morgan followed up with the aquatic ape in 1982, the scars of evolution in 1990, and the descent of the child in 1994. Lane Morgan has been a strong proponent of the theory, even to the modern day, giving a TED Talk on the aquatic ape theory in 2009. Even Sir David Attenborough has championed the theory by doing a two-part radio doc on it on BBC Radio 4 called The Waterside Ape. But what evidence are aquatic ape theorists using to support their claim? There's a lot of claims that avid AAT believers make to support their argument for the theory. We'll list them all here, but expand on a few of the biggest points. One of the biggest is our, meaning human beings, Hairlessness relative to our ancestors. I mean, not Arteri. We're barrel-chested buff hunks with hairy chests. Okay? I mean, my wife has to brush my coat of fur every night to keep it glossy and nice. Rubs me down with olive oil. Ooh, baby. Anywho, the AAT claims that humans lost their body hair as a result of an aquatic or semi-aquatic phase in our past, claiming this is an aquatic adaptation. Other hominids are covered with hair, so why did our ancestors shed their fur coats? Aquatic ape theory says it was likely because they were spending a lot of time in the water. And as we know, body hair just gets in the way of swimmers. It's not as advantageous as a silky, slippery, smooth skin. Besides our hairlessness, one of the other main differences between us and our ape ancestors is our bipedalism. In fact, you could say that for us compared you could say that for us compared to most species. Why did our ancestors suddenly start walking on two legs? Why choose bipedalism over quadrupedalism? The accepted theory is that our ancestors descended from the trees onto the ground and across the savannas. Bipedalism would have been used to see over the tall grass and freed our hands for tool use. Like a microphone for podcasting. 
Oh, baby, if you love five million year old podcasts from the Pliocene era, you got to check out Tong Child's This Ain't Child's Play podcast. Oh, oh yeah. It's mostly incoherent screaming and howling, but it's really engaging. It's yeah. very well done. Great audio quality. But Helps me go to sleep at night. Yeah. Yeah. I like to hear external uh, incoherent screaming and howling instead of that that happens just inside my head. <laughs> but anyway, AAT proponents say that the change from quadrupedalism to bipedalism would have been much less efficient than we think. So why would our ancestors choose it? Well, according to AAT, it was because an upright body would give our ancestors an advantage when it comes to getting to the surface and breathing air or keeping their heads above water when wading in shallow water. A major reason that these water environments were necessary for the evolution of bipedalism is to help support the body weight of our ancestors while walking upright. One other external extremity that differentiates us from our ape ancestors is our nose. Primates have nostrils that point forward, unlike humans. As you can imagine, having open and forward-facing nostrils would easily get clogged when swimming through the water. Is this why the human nose is quite large, especially if you're art? Hey <laughs> now. And pointed downwards? Aquatic ape theorists would say it's highly likely. The differences aren't only externals. Now, there's a lot of internal stuff that AAT proponents say is evidence of our aquatic ancestors. For example, the human larynx is uh, quite different from apes. Our larynx is a muscular organ which helps us regulate airflow to the lungs, houses our vocal cords, and allows us to make sounds. Essentially, It's the voice box. It's what I'm using to talk to you right now. Aquatic ape theorists say our larynx and ability to control our breathing is unusual for a land mammal and more closely related to aquatic animals. Furthermore, the position of the larynx, which for humans is much lower in the throat than in apes, is also closely related to aquatic animals. AAT believers frequently cite that apes have the mental capacity to understand speech, but yet They are unable to speak. Why is that? Well, one reason is the position of their larynx. But that begs the question, why is our larynx so different? Then there's also the fact that we cry salty tears and sweat salty sweat. And if you're anything like Andy or I, you do a lot of both of those things. (laughs) Oh, God, it's true. (laughs) I'm so sweaty. Historically, AAT proponents have generally claimed that our evolution took place in a saltwater environment and that this explains several salt-related features, which they say are unique to humans, you know, including uh, salty tears, salty sweat, and kind of not having the same reactions to salt as other terrestrial mammals. They also claim that while other terrestrial mammals exhibit salt hunger and, you know, will go forage and search for salt, this reaction is not necessarily found in humans. AAT proponents also say that other terrestrial mammals react to salt depletion just like they do to thirst, and that they take in only as much salt as they need and no more. But it's not just salt. It's also our big, huge, honking brains. That's right. Get your mind out of the gutter, bunk funkers. We're literally hanging brain, right? <laughs> Why do humans have such enormous, well-developed brains? According to AAT, it might be from our ancient ancestors' diet. Fish have high concentrations of omega-3 fatty acids. Thus, 
It is theorized that ancient hominids were in the water, swimming around, eating tons of fish, and this helped to develop our big brains. Fish is brain food, after all. Mm -hmm. So we're salty, big-brained, and vocal. What else? We're fucking fatty. Aquatic ape theorists claim that our fat quantity and fat distribution is like that of aquatic mammals, in that it is adapted for insulation and swimming. Specifically, humans have uh, subcutaneous fat, which is bonded to the skin rather than elsewhere in our body. You know who else has this type of trait? Aquatic mammals, like whales and dolphins. Apes and other terrestrial mammals don't carry their fat in a similar way as we do. Fatty, salty, loud know-it-alls. Damn. Art, it feels good to be so connected to our ancestors. We're just like them. God, I would fit in so well. <laughs> There's a laundry list of other claims made by AAT proponents. Let's list them, shall we? Number one, human babies can swim. Y'all ever get kicked out of the local public pool for tossing a bunch of babies in there? No? Just me? Nobody? Hmm. Well... Have you ever seen the cover of Nirvana's Nevermind album? Human babies somehow intrinsically know how to hold their breath and swim. Aquatic ape theorists cite this as more evidence of our link to our aquatic past. Number two, there's the mammalian diving reflex. When your face is submerged in water and fills your nostrils, sensory receptors sensitive to wetness within the nasal cavity and other areas of the face relay the information to the brain to optimize respiration by preferentially distributing oxygen stores to the heart and brain, enabling submersion for an extended time. And finally, number three, the human ability to hold our breath for great lengths of time may indicate a strong aquatic diving past. AAT believers also claim that life on the savannah for our ancestors uh, would have been too dangerous during the great transition from ape to hominid. Our ancestors wouldn't have been uh, fast enough and wouldn't have trees to climb for safety like, like apes would. Thus, the water would have provided a safe haven for our ancestors during this time. Some other things that AAT proponents also claim are that our body temperature is more similar to that of a whale than other terrestrial animals. Hymens are an aquatic trait. Vibrissae, or vibrissae, uh, sensory whiskers, are absent only in humans and in aquatic mammals. Um, human sebaceous glands waterproof the skin like the sebaceous glands of seals, and aquatic mammals copulate facing each other like humans do, while other terrestrial mammals don't. <laughs> This is one hot, wet, and wild topic, Andy. Missionary position on a slip and slide, just like our ancestors did, Art. If AAT proponents are correct, and humans have a common semi-aquatic or fully aquatic ancestor, well, does that mean that some form of that species is still out there to this day? Could it be a mermaid? Well, I know that aquatic ape theory helps support my theory. This is the art aquatic art theory <laughs> that we all descended from red-headed mermaid hoarders who are best friends with a talking sea creature and one day our mermaid ancestors got turned into humans by an evil half octopus half human sea witch that's the only explanation for my seashell bikini i wear other than it offers great support for my titties 
<laughs> my it really does. Yeah. I mean, it 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 lifts, but also pushes. Yeah, there's something about a conch shell that just uh, <laughs> really makes your titties look good. Uh, but unfortunately, mermaids often get looped in with AAT, but are but are actually not a part of it. Uh, so, what does aquatic ape theory have to do with mermaids? Nothing really. Uh, AAT is a concept subscribed to by a very small number of researchers, and even they do not extrapolate it out to suggest an explanation for the mermaid phenomenon. When people talk about aquatic ape theory, they're really they're only talking about human evolution, not mermaids. But hey, that doesn't mean we can't talk about mermaids. If we want to talk about mermaids, we'll go talk about mermaids, all right? You're not our dad. You can't tell us. Quit reading about mermaids and go to bed. Fuck you, dad. <laughs> so are there still, are there mermaid ancestors still living out there? This is the theory explored by Animal Planet in their 2012 pseudo-documentary, Mermaids, The Body Found. Uh, and I'm, I'm quoting here, quote, Mermaids, The Body Found is a story about evolutionary possibility grounded in a radical scientific theory, the aquatic ape theory, which claims that humans had an aquatic stage in our evolutionary past. While coastal flooding millions of years ago turned some of our ancestors inland, is it possible that one group of our ancestors didn't retreat from water, but rather went in deeper? Could they have ventured farther into sea out of necessity and to find food? The aquatic ape theory makes it possible to believe that while we evolved into terrestrial humans, our aquatic relatives turned into something strangely similar to the fabled mermaid. End quote. The film was shot with a documentary feel to it, and, and many people were so convinced that the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association had to put out a short post stating that their position on the subject, uh, which is that mermaids aren't real. Uh, the show claims that our ancestors headed back to the inland forests, but the fictional mermaid ancestors remained on the beach uh, and become fully aquatic with just within just a million years. Wow. So, I mean, it's a big ocean out there. Who knows? Could there be some species of half-hominid, half-fully-aquatic ape living deep in the caverns of the ocean? So, what are some of the issues with the aquatic ape theory? I mean, we mentioned up top how this is a hotly debated topic. What gives? Are we just a bunch of damn dirty liars? <laughs> Bunk funkers. We are so many things. Chads. Bad boys. Rude. Crass. Unfunny. Annoying, big dumb, unintelligent, careless, addicted to eating Play-Doh, milk toast, beer bagel. The reason the Challenger shuttle exploded? But we are not liars. We're going to fill you in on what all the critics are saying. So a lot of AAT debunkers criticize Elaine Morgan for her blatant disregard for proper formatting and scientific research in her books. They claim she simply aggregates points made by other more prominent and form-following anthropologists and cherry-picks quotes slash research of theirs that fits the AAT idea. Essentially, they say aquatic ape theory is nothing more than a form of confirmation bias. Believers will only look for evidence that conforms their beliefs and, uh, and or interpret it in a way that goes with their beliefs, even if there are other reasons for that evidence. AAT debunkers say what is more likely is that many of the traits seen by aquatic ape theory as advantageous for an aquatic lifestyle are actually traits which would help a terrestrial lifestyle as well, and significantly more so. 
Many refuse to even call it a theory, saying it's more akin to a hypothesis. But hey, like we said, that's getting a little too egghead for us. We kind of use it interchangeably. So let's add some arguments to the aquatic ape theory hypothesis claims we made earlier. Let's start with our relative hairlessness compared to our ape ancestors, as it's a hallmark of the aquatic ape theory. For starters, there's plenty of examples of aquatic mammals that are also covered in fur. Beavers, otters, and seals, for example. AAT debunkers say, in a Bill Engvall way, here's your sign, losing body hair is not solely an aquatic feature. But there are plenty of aquatic, semi-aquatic mammals that don't have body hair, but... The reason is not because of the aquatic lifestyle, but rather because they tend to overheat if they have too much hair. It is also likely correlated to a reduction in parasites. Less hair means less of a chance for little mites and fleas and ticks to hide in your fur. Our hairlessness is claimed to have a big impact on our ability to swim. At least according to the aquatic ape theory, it does. And it does make some sense, right? I mean, on face value, when you think of competitive swimmers, you think of them typically shaving their body hair, maybe giving a reason like it reduced uh, drag in the water or Christian, the team captain, says, if I don't do this, he'll TP my house and shove me in a locker. But does hairlessness actually help? Well, according to Influence of Body Hair Removal on Physiological Responses During Breaststroke Swimming by Rick L. Sharp and David L. Costell in Medicines and Science in Sports and Exercise from 1989. We know you've all read it. It's a very popular publication. (laughs) They found that there was a slight increase in coasting distance, compared to a control group, of course, when a swimmer dove into a pool when that swimmer had shaved their body hair. Otherwise... There really isn't much significant use for hairlessness with swimming. I mean, sure, this might be beneficial for an Olympic competitive swimmer who are already exponentially faster swimmers than the average human who are just trying to get that, you know, 0.00 second leg up on their competition. But hey, who gives a fuck if a big old crock was chasing you down? You know what I'm saying? You'd be dead (laughs) in the water. Yeah. That's because human swimmers are sadly, pathetically slow. I mean, seriously, we suck compared to most aquatic animals. Even the fastest human swimmers in the fastest Olympic event can't quite manage six miles per hour. And that's that's just with their legs, okay? When Michael Phelps wore a monofin, he reached a top speed of eight miles per hour, which is still slow as fuck. Most children can run faster than swimmers can swim. Sharks and crocodiles could catch us with no problem. And this is all under the comparison to a well-trained Olympic athlete in the modern era who is likely physically gifted in swimming with long legs and arms. Our best isn't even close to good, and our ancestors would have been worse than that. Other studies continue the research presented by Sharp and Costell, but really, there's no concrete conclusive evidence to be shown that shaving one's body actually poses an evolutionary benefit for faster swim speeds. Now, It might help with things like lactic acid buildup. It might help with technique execution. But this is all in the realm of like sports science, not really survival. In fact, many competition swimmers are switching to full body suits to emulate seal or dolphin skin, which actually argues against AAT because that skin is covered in like tiny little ridges. It's not smooth at all. But again, this is all talk about modern day pro athletes. Our ape-like ancestors would not have been cracking out the 100-meter breaststroke and then pose for a Subway Sandwiches ad 
before taking the world's biggest fucking bong rip. No, that's Olympic hero Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps would kick the shit out of Australopithecus. And I want to pay to see that fight. <laughs> Dana All White, right. where are you? Dana White, dig up Australopithecus and do some weird Jurassic Park stuff and make a make a modern copy and then have Michael Phelps fight it. Let's get that on Fight Island. <laughs> Our ancestors would have likely done a weak as fuck doggy paddle. Like most great apes slash mammals who aren't specialized swimmers do in water. Or worse... They would have waded through the water slowly upright. That was probably more than you ever wanted to know about human hairlessness. So, hey, let's talk about sweat. Everyone's favorite topic. Can't get enough of it. AAT claims that our shedding of salty tears slash sweat is evidence of a possible aquatic past. Our tears and sweat are salty because our body fluids naturally contain salt, which is necessary to function. However, we lack the ability to process large amounts of salt. Our kidneys will fail and we will die typically in three days without fresh water. Other aquatic and semi-aquatic reptiles possess either better kidneys capable of processing salt or salt glands. We also mentioned swimming infants. Yes, a baby in water can instinctively hold its breath. But there is an issue with the AAT claims that this is somehow related to an aquatic ancestry. Why do so many infants drown if they know how to swim? It's because they don't know how to swim. Infants do not know how to hold their breath and then come up for air when they need it. But if we evolved from creatures that could swim so well and were semi-aquatic, why are humans so fucking bad at swimming? Swimming is something that needs to be taught, and humans still drown all the time. We can't even stay underwater efficiently. We float. AAT claims that our skin-bonded fat is another piece of evidence relating to us to our aquatic past. But humans lack sufficient fat deposits such as blubber like whales have. How could ancestral humans have survived in frigid waters? We are very susceptible to hypothermia. AAT debunkers say that Elaine Morgan frequently points to the work of Caroline Pond, who has dedicated much of her academic career to studying fat and its evolutionary significance. Humans, as with other primates, have relatively small uh, adipocytes, or fat cells, and we tend to add more since they can't expand as much as those of rats and mice. Uh, this is why it's hard to lose total fat. Pond pointed out that this feature, relatively small and numerous adipocytes, is uh, common to humans, fin whales, hedgehogs, monkeys, and badgers. AAT debunkers claim that Morgan ignored all those listed animals except whales, using it as evidence uh, we are more connected to fully aquatic creatures because of our fat cells. Pond also states that fat isn't necessarily always stored as insulation. She also notes that the subcutaneous, uh, which is, that means just beneath the skin, fat is the, the subcutaneous fat is the first fat to be used up, even in winter and even in Arctic animals, which is the opposite of what would be expected if insulation were a major purpose for fat. Pond believes the major role of fat is food supply. What about fat distribution? Humans have these shapes they have due to fat distribution and due to sexual selection, whereas seals, the animal which AAT proponents like to compare our fat distribution to, have it mostly for streamlining. Fat distribution is different amongst the sexes in humans as well. This is not true for seals. Furthermore, our fat distribution changes throughout our life cycle, whereas seals stay relatively the same. 
We start out as chubby, wubby, cute little babies. Then we enter some of the leanest portions of our lives as children. Typically, we fatten up again at puberty, much to our middle school chagrin, and then change again at middle age. According to Pond, these are classic telltale signs of a trait which has been shaped by sexual selection rather than by adaptation to our environment. Boy, this topic is getting a little fatty now. Let's talk about descended larynxes. Jeez, this guy in descended larynxes, huh? Hey, I know I sound like a broken record here, Andy, but that's because my larynx is damaged. Oh. oh. I need help. Oh. As we mentioned, uh, your larynx is essentially your voice box, and if you subscribe to AAT, you'd believe that it was this special thing that we share with mostly aquatic animals. But plenty of terrestrial animals actually have descended larynxes when vocalizing, including red deer, koalas, lions, tigers, and other members of the genus Panthera, Uh, dogs, pigs, goats, and monkeys, and even some birds like roosters and cardinals. But why are we just kind of finding out about this now? Well, according to William Tecumseh Fitch, what a name, in Comparative Vocal Production and the Evolution of Speech, Reinterpreting the Descent of the Larynx from 2002, quote, The work on animal vocal anatomy dates mostly from the 19th century and was based exclusively on dissections of dead animals. By the time new techniques allowing anatomical visualization of living animals were developed, such as x-ray film or MRIs, the study of comparative anatomy had fallen from favor. Although occasional critics pointed out that the crucial issue is not the resting position of the larynx, but its position during vocalization, it is only recently that modern imaging techniques have been applied to living, vocalizing mammals. So, in essence, modern tech has allowed us to see an animal's larynx during its vocalization. AAT skeptics say there's actually more evidence that the descended larynx is a worse aquatic trait than it is beneficial. The descended larynx of humans is not fully descended at birth. Instead, it kind of gradually descends during the first four years of an infant's life. The descended larynx of humans, therefore, one, it undergoes a change during, you know, this period when infants are kind of learning to speak in an ever more complex manner. And two, it isn't fully formed for the first four years of human babies' lives. So, Hypothetically, if this trait evolved from our aquatic ancestors and is supposedly beneficial for an aquatic lifestyle, then that kind of begs the question, how did our ancestors somehow survive for the first four years of their life without this seemingly crucial trait that we still have today? Then there's also the issue that our descended larynx allows us to get water into our lungs more easily, causing us to drown. And drowning is not very aquatic friendly, my dude. (laughs) (laughs) Too true. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about bipedalism as well. It's one of our most unique traits. Walking up on two legs separates us from almost every other terrestrial animal. Well, except for the other animals that do it too. Uh, Types of gerbils and kangaroos also develop bipedalism without any connection to an aquatic ancestor. Shit. I guess we're not so special after all. Thanks a lot, kangaroos. Jeez, assholes. But also, apes frequently walk on two legs when acting aggressive or chasing food or other reasons. Like just monkeying around. (laughs) 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 
<laughs> I wonder if the bunk bunkers got that little joke I snuck in there. But bipedalism also made ancient humans appear larger to predators and allowed us to see over tall grasslands. And it also allowed our hands free for tool use. Actual tests of chimpanzees by Taylor and Roundtree in the 1973 article Running on Two or on Four Legs, which consumes more energy, has shown that bipedalism is no less efficient for them than quadrupedalism. Also, the consensus amongst anthro-eggheads over the last few decades has been that the last common ancestor between apes and hominids was far more likely to have been an ape which swings from branches rather than a knuckle-walking ape like a chimp. In fact... Brachiating apes, or apes who swings from trees, such as gibbons, typically walk bipedally when they are on the ground. Then there's the claim made by AAT proponents that our ancestors would have gravitated toward the water for safety from the predators of the savanna, and that they would have had no other defense mechanisms than to learn to swim away. There's definitely a few holes in this logic, as pointed out by AAT skeptics. For one, aquatic predators. I mean, there's tons of them. And they pose huge threats to our ancestors. We already described what shitty fucking swimmers we are. Our ancestors taking a dip in the water would get eaten alive by the predators there. Furthermore, the idea of our ancestors running from a hungry ancestral lion or other large predator is also flawed. Modern day lions and tigers often hunt by water holes, streams, and other aquatic sources because it's really easy to chase your prey into the water where they get stuck and then they get an easy meal. Sure, we can't outrun a lion, and neither could our ancestors, but we sure as fuck could not swim them. We can look to modern-day apes as an example of how our ancestors would have handled predatory situations back then. When you face off against an ape, you rarely face off against just one ape. Trust me, I know from experience when I tried to challenge Coco the gorilla to a WWE heavyweight title bout, and a couple of her gorilla friends came out and hit me in the back of, a, of the head with a steel chair while she distracted the refs. I lost the title belt that night, Art. Now Triple H is going to kick me out of evolution and replace me with Coco the gorilla. Andy, let's be honest. You weren't a good fit for evolution, all right? Ric Flair has better charisma than you. Batista is bigger and stronger than you. Randy Orton looks better than you and has better skills than you. And honestly, Coco the Gorilla is probably smarter than you. All right, fair. But hey, fun fact about Coco the Gorilla, allegedly had a strong nipple fixation with several people saying that Coco requested to see their nipples. It got so bad that in 2005, three staff members at the Gorilla Foundation, where Coco lived, filed lawsuits against the organization, alleging that they were pressured to reveal their nipple, nipples to Coco by the organization's executive director. <laughs> so, uh, hey, I guess you and Coco aren't so different after all. Art. I wish I would have known this back in the early 2000s. Ugh. Instead, I just formed a tag team with the Hurricane and Maven. Fuck. What a team. Fuck. Coco and I could have been the nipple team. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. Anywho. Modern day chimps work in groups, howling, throwing sticks, rocks, feces, and generally being pretty fucking terrifying. I mean, modern day chimps are no slouches. These motherfuckers will kill other chimps and leopards with no more tools than our ancestors would have had. Modern day chimps have even been witnessed sleeping on the ground peacefully with leopards present. They know their strength in numbers, and our ancestors likely did too. I mean, seriously. If you don't believe us, go ask Joe Rogan. Jamie! Pull up that clip of the chimp fucking up that moose. 
Jamie's going to pull that up for us. Yeah. Jamie also works for us. Yeah. He splits time. It's a timeshare we have with Joe. <laughs> we know which one he's really committed to. Yeah. Then there's the mammalian dive reflex and our big brains. The mammalian dive reflex is actually seen in other terrestrial animals, such as various monkeys and even dogs. Yes, that's right, listeners. Now close your eyes and imagine, if you will, a cute old doggo wearing some cool shades, you know, and like maybe he's got like a funny Tommy Bahama shirt on and he takes a deep, big, deep breath and dives into the pool. You know, it's summertime. Everyone's having fun, especially that cool diving dog. Anyway, also <laughs> seals and whales don't hold their breath when they dive. They store oxygen in their blood and then expel the air from their lungs as they dive, which, you know, is a very different system than we have for sure. And is kind of the key differentiating factor for AAT skeptics. But what about fish being brain food for our developing big brains? Sure, fish is definitely full of beneficial omega-3s, and our ancestors likely did eat them, as do other animals who do not have brains as powerful as ours. So what gives? Why can't I keep feeding my cat cans of tuna so that he develops a powerful mind capable of understanding what a fucking asshole he is? Well... One reason might be that our developed we developed our brains not necessarily based on diet, but how our behavior and defense mechanisms evolved over time. Gorillas and other great apes have large sagittal crests in their skulls to help support their large canine teeth, which they use as a means of biting down and showing dominance towards other gorillas. This is because gorillas typically have a like one leader, like the alpha male, whom the whole pack follows. That's their, that's their social system. But the lack of sagittal crest in humans may indicate that over time, we developed a different social structure in which singular dominance was not as beneficial as working together as a group. Thus, sagittal crested individuals were gradually phased out over time because well, we didn't need those big scary canine chompers anymore. So these facets of our ancestors' skulls started to diminish. And that left room for larger brains, which continued to grow as social interaction continued to be more important. And modern anthropology has counterarguments for every claim listed by AAT advocates. And with that, the aquatic ape theory has mostly been deemed pseudoscience. But is there any way it could be incorporated into modern evolutionary teaching? Some, some researchers still want to revisit or perhaps reevaluate the argument. Such as Mark Verhagen, who, seriously, if you look up any article on aquatic ape theory, Mark has likely made a comment about it in the article comment section. Literally, this guy's name pops up everywhere, and he really wants to change people's views of AAT. Mark argues this in his article, The Aquatic Ape Evolves, Common Misconceptions and Unproven Assumptions About the So-Called Aquatic Ape Hypothesis. Uh, this is quoting Mark here, quote, while some paleoanthropologists remain skeptical, data from diverse biological and anthropological disciplines leave little doubt that human ancestors were at some point in our past semi-aquatic, wading, swimming, and or diving in shallow waters in search of waterside or aquatic foods. However, the exact scenario, how, where, and when these semi-aquatic adaptations happen, how profound they were, and how they fit into the hominid fossil record, is still disputed, even among anthropologists who assume some semi-aquatic adaptations. 
Here I argue that most in, that the most intense phases of semi-aquatic adaptation in human history occurred when populations belonging to the genus Homo adapted to slow and shallow littoral diving for sessile foods such as shellfish during part or parts of the Pleistocene epoch, the Ice Ages, possibly along African or South Asian coasts, end quote. Perhaps there's a happy medium between AAT and the established evolution of humans? Elaine Morgan also frequently made comments about dogma in science, saying that we need to be open to new ideas and accept that our previously conceived notions of academia and science may be broken one day, as they were in the past. If we don't put a stake in the ground with claims, hypothesis, uh, and, and risk being wrong, then it is not science. Perhaps the biggest issue with the aquatic ape theory is in the nature of academia itself, the reluctance to let go of previously established dogma. Who was our last common ancestor between us and the great ancient apes? Were they a terrestrial land dweller? Or were they a semi-aquatic species? Could they have possibly even been a fully aquatic ape species? We don't know the answer to these questions, but there is something that we can be 100% certain about. That if our ancestors were some kind of aquatic ape species, you better believe they would come up to the surface for a heaping plate of the whole enchilada. Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast will be right back after this brief message. Bunk Funkers, this is Andy, and I'm here with my co-host, your co-host, Art, uh, and we're coming at you today to let you know that we launched a Patreon. Uh, so if you have the means and you want to support the show, come visit us at patreon.com slash MrBunkerPod and consider becoming a subscriber. Get an extra podcast episode every month of our brand new show, Andy and Art Debunked, available only on Patreon. We're going to be covering uh, various urban legends and myths. We'll do TV and movie commentary tracks and reviews. We'll do pop culture conspiracies and much, much more. Becoming a subscriber will also get you access to our Discord channel, where you can chat with me and Art and other bunk funkers from around the globe. You'll also get plenty of behind-the-scenes content and much, much more. So please, help us support the show and keep the lights on in the bunker. Visit us at patreon.com slash MrBunkerPod and become a subscriber today. Hey, welcome back, listeners. That was our research of the aquatic ape theory. Oh, Andy, I just got a drink of water because I'm such an aquatic ape, I can't get enough water. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. There's the proof we were looking for. Um, Art. Andy. Uh, just... My thoughts here, I'm sick and fucking tired of talking about the Whoa. aquatic ape theory. Can we fucking talk about the erotic ape theory? <laughs> like, why do lady orangutans be so sexy? That's the theory I want to know. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God, bunkfuckers is coming out. <laughs> 
Andy's hottest ape list. Number one, bonobos. They know how to do this stuff that'll make you come. Number two, orangutans. Love me a redhead. Number three, gorillas. Number four, chimps. And number five, whatever's left. They're all all good, baby. They all made the top five. Oh, wow. Look out. Look out. (laughs) Animal rescue. Don't let Andy anywhere near. Hey, if you got an ape sanctuary, I'm willing to breastfeed some babies. You know what I mean? (laughs) Holy shit. Oh, God. Um, I I think Aquatic Ape sounds like the less cool sequel to Street Sharks. (laughs) Doesn't it sound kind of like like maybe a Hanna-Barbera character, Aquatic Ape, like a superhero? It does. (laughs) Oh, no, the Legion of Doom. Meanwhile, at the Legion of Doom, (laughs) I'm Solomon Grundy. Don't want to sit next to Aquatic Ape. Like Megillah the Gorilla's cousin from under the sea, Aquatic (laughs) Ape. Yeah, Manta Ray has like a bunch of fucking aquatic apes. He sends over after Aquaman. <laughs> That's like, um, like uh, the Wicked Witch of the West or something. Those were aerial apes. <laughs> hey, aerial apes. Those would have been mermaids. Um, yeah. Under oh the boy, sea. Under, the under the sea, where there's apes swimming around, oh so freely. <laughs> <laughs> They're not hairy, you can bet. Sha la 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 hula la. Go on and kiss the ape. <laughs> God. Oh boy. Um. Well, Andy, I mean, where where are we on this one? I mean, uh you know, I'll say this. I'll say this. Um, I I waffled a little bit back and forth on this one, but I kind of ended up back to where what I originally thought about aquatic ape theory. Um, it, I guess it's tough because, like, I'm not. You know. We're not educated men. We're not smart. Um, <laughs> we don't have anthropology degrees. You know, I we probably fucked something up in that research, and we probably pissed somebody off. But we're, we're um, barely allowed to buy degree antiperspirant in the store. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like we're on thin ice. I mean, listen, you just heard us make a couple jokes about Andy breastfeeding an a ape. Like we're obviously <laughs> not academics. <laughs> hey, do you think Mister Rogers fucked Coco? The gorilla. <laughs> they had kind of a romance thing going on. Does anyone else feel yeah. that? Kind of. Yeah. Let's just say that he was glad. Theory. He was glad that Coco was in his neighborhood. He wanted. To, <laughs> he really wanted to be her friend, but maybe be a little bit more than friends. Yeah, I think that uh, Mrs. Rogers said she was jealous. <laughs> you think Mr. Rogers fucked that gorilla? You think he did? <laughs> you think Mr. Rogers fucked that Coco? You think Mr. Rogers fucked Coco the gorilla? She already had his shirt off. He was halfway there. <laughs> she loved looking at nipples, apparently. <laughs> and he, you know, as far as we know, had two of them. So he, maybe he got some of those puppets involved. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Won't you be my neighbor? 
won't you have sex with me? You beautiful gorilla. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day for gorilla puss. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my gorilla? Um, I went back and forth a little bit. I mean, like Mr. Rogers. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Anyway, um, I, I was reading kind of like there's a lot of it's hard to find pro AAT stuff. There's a lot of like anti stuff. Yeah. But um, you read all of that and you're like, oh, yeah, it's a bunch of bullshit. And then maybe you go watch that TED talk that Elaine Morgan did. And you're like, oh, OK. All right. You know, maybe she's got a little point here, you know. I don't all know. Right. All right, Linda. But it's just kind of like, you know. <laughs> and then, I don't know. Then I think you end up maybe kind of coming back around because it sort of seems like kind of one of Elaine Morgan's point is like, well, the reason no one wants to believe this is because it goes against the status quo. Mm -hmm. Like, when she starts talking about the status quo stuff and all that, it's like, that's when she gets her big standing ovation. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, yeah, you know, also, no, because like, I feel you on the whole academia hates change thing like that is it's true. There's a bunch of bullshit with that. Um, but, you know, just because people don't just because people challenge you or make you prove your point doesn't mean they're automatically scared of what you're like. I can sit here and say that like pizza is a vegetable. And if people fucking challenge me on that, I can't just be like, well, oh, see, I mean, look at it. I mean, you know. They're just uh, trying to hold the status quo because they're afraid to accept my radical method of thought that pizza's a vegetable. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I have to I have to agree. I mean, we talk about this on the show. Talked about it with Goop. A lot. Yeah, like, I mean, we talk about it with Goop. Uh, it's like the same argument. Oh, we go against the status quo. That's why they're afraid of us or whatever, you know? Uh, but we also talk about it in kind of a good way in, like, things like... Uh, Rapa Nui, um, when we talked about human evolution more broadly uh, in our second episode, too, it's sort of like um, the the way that academia works. I mean, Alistair Hardy didn't even put this forward when he originally had the idea in the 1930s after a trip to the Arctic um, because he was worried that it would hurt his career in academia yeah. for proposing such a such a radical hypothesis and he's not even saying like i think that this is what happened he's saying that i'm noticing these things maybe that we should do some more consideration of this uh and it's like academia is is a problem in a lot of ways because this is you know academia is supposed to represent the like accepted science on things but you know there are people like uh that who work outside the margins of what's the traditional channels for academia on a certain subject. And they don't often get a lot of uh, credit or benefit of the doubt or, or support from people within the community, even if their ideas kind of make sense, which I think on its face, aquatic ape kind of makes a little bit of sense because it, it's, yeah, you know, it's like, okay, you're right. You listen to Elaine Morgan at the Ted talk and you're like, this kind of fucking makes sense. But I think that's part of Elaine Morgan's charm. She's not a like exceptionally gifted performer necessarily, but she like delivers it in such a way that it gets you on board. Like she's a good writer. Yeah. 
And she's a she's also like a cute old little granny with like a Welsh accent. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's all part of the mystique. I mean, in the David Attenborough uh, BBC radio uh, piece, uh, there was uh, somebody from Tufts or somewhere, a uh, professor that was talking about Elaine Morgan's visit to Tufts when she talked about aquatic ape and how there was some anthropology professor or somebody in the in the audience who like challenged her on this and she shut it down like so skillfully that you know he's like oh it was so charming and she had the audience eating out of her hand like I think that's part of why it's why it's popular a little bit too is because she's like a good salesperson of it she's a good she does not have a degree in anthropology she is a script writer she's a good uh, she has a degree in English from Oxford she's a good storyteller She's a good storyteller. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, and way better than any egghead who fucking studies anthropology. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like that nerd probably stood up and was like, "Oh, sorry, I've uh, oh, I've soiled myself." But also, uh, you're wrong. The Australopithecus. So let's take back to the Pliocene era of. Uh, blah, blah, blah. And she was probably like, "Shut up, you twat." No. <laughs> oh. Get fucked, dog cunt. <laughs> Get funk fucked. You donkey sandwich. <laughs> you are an idiot. Don't make me take a shite on the stage. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, you're right. I mean, it's like she relates better to the chads like us than, than the oh, egghead yeah. community. But, you know... You said it like she's she's kind of a she's a lay person, right? Like when it comes to anthropology, she's a lay person. She's like a very interested lay person. So, you know, I think a lot of people, the issues that they find with is that she, you know, she's willing to cite her sources uh, some of the time. And um, a lot of people don't agree with the conclusions that she takes from the sources or they don't think that she's being. um what do I want to say? Like holistic enough in her approach to considering right. the information in the source. You know, I mean, this is a typical stuff where you're trying to like push a viewpoint. So you like cherry pick something rather than because she's not writing like a scientific treatise. She's no. she's writing a she's writing a book, a good story more than anything. And if she yeah, believes I mean, it, she deceives it, you know, dissent of of woman was like kind of challenging the notion of this like um you know, like the notion of like on the savannah, there was this sort of like alpha kind of hunter sort of like it, it was like around the time when the naked ape came out and it was all sort of like about like, yeah, there was like this alpha hunter man. And she kind of was like challenging that idea by saying that it was maybe no, like we were going back to the waters and stuff like that. Yeah, she said that uh, I think I think what um, she said is that there is this there was this I had the time narrative from anthropologists that said that humans on the savannas it was too hot because they were chasing prey all day and so they shed their hair um but to her she said that would have been the men and not the women the women would have been foraging and gathering and and whatever maintaining dwellings or whatever they wherever those hominids were living and so the loss of hair wouldn't have been beneficial to women 
So it didn't make sense to her that you would say that this male behavior would influence the entire species, uh, which, I mean, that's kind of flawed on its face because, I mean, it's 50-50 when it, in terms of like DNA, I mean, you know, uh, that's how the whole breeding process works. So, you know, but her argument is kind of like, well, Female life. And that's what Andy calls it when he wants to, you know, have sex. He yeah. says, let's breed. I say, let's, let's engage in the breeding process. I wife. say, spouse, uh, let us now engage in the breeding process. Even though my dick don't work so good, I can't breed nothing. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, but I still call it that. Um, so that was her argument is like, it must right. have been some other factor other than this need to hunt on the savanna that caused this reduction in human body hair, uh, which then, you know, she's, she was inspired by Alistair Hardy's argument about it being an aquatic lifestyle uh, and that that hairlessness might relate to some sort of aquatic ancestor. I, you know, this is kind of like any pseudoscience conspiracy theory like there it seems like there's some kind of kernel of truth to it like if you start reading about what was happening in that area of africa in that time it's like apparently the the coasts were flooded and creating all these kind of little island pockets and so you would have had you know generations of these hominids kind of living near the coast and and the savannah wasn't kind of what we always picture when we think of like savannah you know, it might have been a little bit more varied. There might have been a little bit more stuff going on, I think. I mm -hmm. I read kind of about the savannas back then. Yeah. But, I mean, and, like, I guess, you know, I don't want to pull my verdict out here yet <laughs> and slap it on the fucking table. Yeah, please don't. You know? Uh, but <laughs> Wait till the breeding hour arrives and then yeah. pull out your verdict. <laughs> um. I just, I mean, I, I can, I can see like maybe some, I can see some foraging in the, but like, I don't know, just like, I, I, listen, I'm not a smart guy. I, I don't follow anthropology. I don't really even like it that much. <laughs> I took it in college and I barely, I don't know. I just wasn't that super into it. Uh, I just can't see us being aquatic. We are just so fucking unadapted for water. Like we just... We fucking we own all landscapes, Andy. Even the air. We're like we're 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 fine in the air. We can do crazy shit. Like we just fucking own every landscape. We'll climb mountains. Doesn't matter. Fucking tundra. Hot. Doesn't matter. Humans, we can we'll own it. We're the best. Just not the ocean. <laughs> we just <laughs> like we're so bad at swimming. And we're just so unequipped to fucking swim and like there's always these goofy things where they talk yeah well like why do you have webbing it's like we barely have webbing in between our fingers and it's pretty obvious that we only have it so that our hands can stretch yeah really far right it's like we're just not we're not a water equipped mammal like we are just not built for it we don't have the stuff we can't swim that fast and we would have just been fucked. Like what? We were going to, you're saying they would have waded through the water like that real slow. You ever try to walk through water? <laughs> yeah. Croc would just come up and eat us. Yeah. And we'd be like, Hey, let's not go in the fucking water anymore, guys. 
<laughs> we can easily one lion, one saber tooth tiger comes up and fucking attacks us. There's like eighty of us, or however there are many there. I don't know. There's like fifteen of us. We'll just hoot and holler and be really crazy and big, and that thing's not gonna attack us. Yeah. Predators don't just they 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 single out weak things because animals don't have any shame. A- animal doesn't give a shit if they take down the fucking king buffalo. Or the weakest, sickest buffalo in the pack. Like, <laughs> they, they want food, yeah. period. They don't care. Yeah, they need meat. So they're not going to sit there and challenge. They, they're going to go after the hominid that's sitting there wading through the water like an idiot. Like, oh, yeah. hey, wait, hey guys, wait, wait up. I was uh, oh, uh, I was trying to catch this uh, oh. slippery thing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Nah, I hear you loud and clear. And and I don't, I don't want to backtrack too much here, but I, I just want to say on, on body hair... Okay, uh, because I we thought, get it. You want to have sex with an ape. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I found I found this interesting. Okay, so aquatic ape uh, kind of proposes that this, this aquatic ancestor would have been approximately 5 million years ago. Um, some, of, some of the recent evidence uh, regarding relative human hairlessness is that humans started to probably lose their hair about 1.2 million years ago. So this is quite a while after this ancestor, if that was a specific aquatic adaptation. Now, where the research says is there's this MC1R gene, uh, which is uh, important gene for darker skin color, which would have been like important for uh, people on the savanna in the sun uh, instead of in the forests uh, or in the jungle uh, where there's more shade because, um, you know, the skin after the hair comes off is probably like very pink and uh, raw and eh, oh, just God. naked pink Ugh. raw skin. But, Ugh. you know, after after the repeated exposure, you know, eventually skin colors would darken to meet the to come into balance with the environment. So. You know, the the math says that that was like 1.2 million years ago. And they also found evidence that sort of corroborated that uh, from parasites. I mean, parasites was also like an argument uh, put forth by anthropologists mainstream about hairlessness. Um, So evolution, there's there's like two different species of lice that affect humans. Uh, one that affect the hair on our head and one that affect the hair in our pubes, uh, our crotches. Uh, How did I know? How did I know you would find a way to bring up pubes? Uh, hold on, hold on. So head lice uh, m- like moved away from crotch lice, pubic lice, uh, about 1.2 million years ago is when they diverged, uh, according to researchers. So this kind of supports that... Uh, Hairlessness probably started much later than the proposed aquatic ape hypothesis. But back, yeah, to, and but back to your point, Art. Yeah, humans kind of fucking suck in water. Um, and and hey, and hey, you brought it up in the script, but I I gotta say, look, I got a kid, right? We do swimming lessons. He started when he was two years old. That motherfucker did not know how to swim. If I would have left him in the pool, he would have fucking sunk to the bottom like a sack of rocks. And you're telling me that a goddamn baby is going to fucking swim? Forget it. I mean, this is like an active two-year-old. He's probably stronger. Do not put your baby. Stronger than I am. You know, he would have fucking sunk to the bottom of the pool and he wouldn't have fucking a clue what to do. Yeah. I had to be in the pool with him. 
Yeah. He's not, he can't swim on his own. There's no fucking instinctual swimming. That's such bullshit. Those are people that don't fucking know anything about a goddamn baby. And then they talk about water birth. Oh, the water birth. Oh, the babies can be born in water. The fucking baby lives in water. Of course it can be born in fucking water. It's coming out of water. Eventually it's got to breathe though or it's going to die. Fuck. It's not because we're goddamn adapted for the water. The baby's coming out of water. It's an amniotic fluid. Of course it can go into the water. But you got to bring it up. It's not like you can just leave it there indefinitely. Fuck. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking ignorant bullshit. God damn. Holy fuck. Woo, listeners. <laughs> You're getting a glimpse at the real Andy. You're getting a glimpse. How do you think you get in the mild manner Andy for 71 however many episodes you've had mild manner Andy, but finally you're getting to see the real Andy. He wants to have sex with an orangutan. <laughs> he hates water birth. God. You know, holy shit! You know, some of the some what of the, the fuck? Some of the stuff in the Attenborough uh, program was a lot about like, well, you know, an anthropologist said at one point that you can't have water births in cold water because the babies will get too cold. Babies do have to be warm, like you know, they have heat yeah. heat lamps at the hospital when the baby's born because there's such a change in temperature, even from just being inside a human body to just being in a oh. room temperature room. So famously you, Andy, you and I have both been cooked after we were born. We, we, they they put me inside of a convection oven, they put you in a fryer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got deep fried. They deep fried you. Yeah. Which was the right choice and that has informed a lot of my life decisions. <laughs> um but you know there's heat lamps all over the freaking nursery at a hospital because babies <laughs> Oh everywhere. Yeah. The babies get cold. There's fucking babies on the ceiling. There's babies in the receptionist area. There's in the fucking filing cabinets. And, and they're using you open up like a random of janitor's a, closet. Aquatic ancestor of like, oh, well, no, no, it's yeah. no. There was there was a, there was some Russian midwives that reported that they could give birth and that women could give birth in the Black Sea, uh, where the water's only like fifty degrees. It's like it's probably not a great idea, but you're gonna pull the baby out and warm it up. Like it's not, you know. Again, it's not like the baby's. I mean, I don't know if that has any impact on the baby's health. It's not like you're going to leave the baby there. Like, while well, you live, you belong to the Black Sea now. Well, dos, we were aquatic beings. They just swim away. Baby, like, they're like tadpoles. If the baby survives, then the baby is fit to live in Russia. <laughs> Old saying in Russia, if you love something, give birth to it in the Black Sea. If it comes back to you, that's how you know it was for real. <laughs> oh, old Sergey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in in Mother Russia, <laughs> Black Sea gives birth to you. <laughs> That's like, thank you. This is my aquatic ape stand-up special. <laughs> Direct to DVD from Moscow. I play all over St. Petersburg, Moscow, uh, other Russian cities. Irkutsk. Australia, Pithicalis, I hardly know her. Hey, you Lucy. guys ever have 
No. Okay, you go. <laughs> they were calling me Tighty. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Jesus Christ. Andy, that was quite the impassioned speech about putting your baby in the water. Um, yeah, don't do that. Don't put your baby in the water. Babies, yes, because they're born in embryonic fluid. Yeah, they 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 know how to like hold their breath. But like, it's so fucking stupid, and it's crazy to me that they would ever anyone would ever argue that ever for even put that in to like nobody ever edited aquatic ape theory to think like oh wow hmm, there's a lot of fucking holes to this argument that babies can swim they can't fucking swim it's like, <laughs> like you put a baby in the water it will drown yeah it's like it's like maybe we should stop putting that forward as good as like a big key point of aquatic ape hypothesis is that infants know how to swim it's like they don't adults don't know how to swim unless you teach them humans do yeah. not instinctively know how to swim like there are some adults who cannot swim. They will just literally sink to the bottom. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, I don't know. The, the, all the musk, I mean, everything just points to we are the, we are like the greatest endurance runners on the fucking planet. Mm -hmm. No animal. Like, if, if we wanted to kill something, ancient uh, hominids would just fucking, or ancient humans would just fucking run after it until it got tired and gave up. Yeah, because it will. Most things will. Most things are like sprinters. Most things mm -hmm. are burst runners. Um, it's like us, even like a horse. Like I think a human could outrun a horse. Well, for distance. Well, you said it. I mean, most animals are structured in such a way that they can, they have a burst, and it's to outrun a predator. Right. Like, we obviously are adapted to run after prey, because we're not the we're not maybe not the fastest in a burst. Even though, no. like, honestly, relatively fast, you know, like for, I mean, for what it is, in my opinion, uh, but long distance, forget about it. I mean, a cheetah could outrun us, no problem, but they can't sustain it. No, no. I mean, that's like, that's fucking, that's Disney, that's, that's Animal Planet for Kids stuff. Yeah. I this mean, is and so then it's like, you know. This is ZooBooks 101, baby. ZooBooks, accelerated reader program. You could easily get uh, probably half a point, one point on the accelerated reader program for doing a ZooBook. Well, Help you get that uh, pizza party. Yeah, mark this down, bunk funkers, because you're that much closer to a pizza party. We're helping you. Yeah, we're going to get you that pizza party. So you send us a piece in the mail, please. <laughs> yeah. We want a piece of that pizza. <laughs> that fucking bullshit Pizza Hut pizza party that your fucking teacher would get for you. I want a slice of the hut, and I want it in a... <laughs> In a manila envelope. <laughs> yeah. On my desk. It in has the to be. It has to be manila, okay? Because if the grease isn't fucking pouring through the manila, it's just not, you know. Yeah, it's not the same. We want to eat the manila envelope, too. <laughs> yeah. I like the fiber. I especially like that little uh, metal part that uh, attaches yeah. the flap. Um, You know, I feel kind of bad. I, the, when this was presented to us from by Connor, you know, they said that there was a lot of stuff about like mermaids, but I don't know. I kind of struggled to find anything like they actively say that this is not about mermaids. Yeah. And the only real thing about mermaids is that like animal planet documentary. And while that thing apparently was pretty popular when it came out, have you ever seen it? No, I've never seen it. 
I saw, but, I saw uh, it. I mean, I saw parts of it, I, I should say, I, but I haven't found it in its totality. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but it's, I mean, it was all fake. It was 100% fake. It was, it was Animal Planet, which was, up until that point, a pretty, one of the last maybe, like, kind of scientific shows. You know, like, Discovery Channel had already jumped the shark. History Channel jumped the shark. <laughs> um, yeah. You know... And I don't know what Psy TV has been doing, but uh, <laughs> but Animal Planet, you know, they kind of jumped it with that. And it's like they have this portion in Animal Planet where it's like this the narrator talking to who they say is a scientist. And the scientist is like, well, you know, like they, they're the scientist who apparently found the fucking mermaid body. And he's like, look at your hands. Like, do you see the webbing between your fingers? How do you think that got there? And it's like. Those dudes were actors. They were they are one hundred percent actors. They yeah. are not who they say they were. This was not real. The CGI looked bad. Yeah, <laughs> it was like I I remember the first time that uh, the first time that I like stumbled upon that. I was like, "What am I watching? Is this <laughs> real?" I was like, "This can't be real. What is what is this even about?" And then I was like, "Surely this is going somewhere." And then I was like. They're really doubling down on this mermaid thing. I couldn't figure it out, but then it's like, oh, it turns out it's, yeah, it's not a real, it's not a real thing. No, yeah, I mean, it's been like, it's like, it's just been stated multiple times. I mean, I think they even had to put like a disclaimer, yeah, at the beginning. Yeah, and there's that it's like you know, fiction. Yeah, I mean, it's and 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 like Aquatic Ape Theory just has so many holes, so. Much like the apes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, Andy. Is there any other points you want to make about it? Or uh, what do you say? Um, you know, I guess, uh, yeah, like on the on the mermaid frontier, I agree with you. I mean, it didn't, it didn't, I mean, I think it's, there's kind of a distance from, from the uh, aquatic ape folks and the mermaid folks. But, I mean, you get kind of how it would get there. Is like if you think, oh, there was like some aquatic ancestor, maybe it turned out to be a mermaid. But mermaid's kind of like a yeah. horse of a different color in a lot of ways because it's like half human, half fish. It's like the the typical mermaid rather than right. like, uh, you know, like just a really a good an ape that's really good at swimming, uh, <laughs> like a really sleek well, I don't ape. Think we, do you think that we would evolve into like a fish? Like I, I feel like we would just. We would be this if it really was a mermaid. You'd you'd look more like maybe like a like a sea monkey. I mean, no pun intended, but like you'd have like large webbed hands. Yeah, I don't think that you'd ha you maybe would have a tail. Maybe you know apes. We have a vestigial tail. Yeah, we have a tailbone. Yeah, you know maybe our tail would grow back because the thing about our musculature is that we even though we do have super fucking strong legs, um. We don't have like a musculature for like propulsion that mm -hmm. other aquatic animals do, like tails and you know. They're, I mean, sharks are just so fucking musculature, and they're just god damn, they're so fucking hunky and sexy. <laughs> okay, here Sleek. we go. Sure, make fun of me for one day bang an orangutan, <laughs> and then here you are. You're I a shark. I just want to get head from a hammerhead. Yeah. I just want to get head from a hammerhead. <laughs> hammerhead. Yeah, I just want to get hammerhead. 
Great white cum. Oh. <laughs> Um, uh, do you- no, but like they have massive tails. Crocs have massive tails. We would need some kind of massive tail that has a different, I don't know what you call it, like side to side muscles. You know what I'm saying? Like we don't really have that. We have, um, we have really strong, like up and down muscles. <laughs> God, oh, I, yeah. I know I sound like a fucking idiot, yeah. but you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I get where you're going. I mean, like, like, let's talk a little bit about bipedalism too. Um, Let's talk about bipedalism. You know, they talk about bipedalism as being beneficial in the water. Like, sure. I mean, I get I get where they're kind of coming from on this. Like, if you're wading in the water, I don't think that that is necessarily, like, a good lifestyle. Like, I think that's a good, like, thing that you could, like, add in. But, um, yeah, it would have been better if our ancient hominids would have had a better lifestyle. Like, go to school. Find something you're passionate about. Find <laughs> someone to settle down with, you know? Yeah. Better lifestyle. Think about it. Uh, ancient hominids. You could do better. Um, but, you know, bipedalism, like one of the points that uh, was raised in the research is that, uh, you know, this this connection between uh, f- partners, sex partners facing each other uh, where this doesn't happen. Of in, course. Of course you're into that. Uh, well, bear with me here because this is relevant, actually, for once. Uh Sex partners facing each other versus doing it. No, this is relevant, dude. You know, you have a woman, you have a fucking vagina at the end of a water slide, and then you fucking slide your with your peen forward, and that's how you. That's how we should be having sex, bro. <laughs> you're on your knees, but like low on your knees, like you're limboing, and then when you slide down the water slide, like you just slide right in. Yo, what's up? I'm the bro dankthropologist. <laughs> I'm coming up with cool shit about history and evolution. I'm Anthony, okay? the propologist. <laughs> I'm Anthony, propologist. I will not propologize for my theories on having sex on a slip and slide. <laughs> All right. What were you saying? Uh, I'm talking about uh, the relation between the way our sex organs work and bipedalism. So, okay, like, like apes. Have you ever seen a of like ape in heat? Oh my god! They're they have they have like an external. <laughs> no, the- but I have a feeling that that is that is like eighty percent of your your fucking search history on on the internet. There's no point in even deleting it because I'm just gonna search it again. So there's no <laughs> there's no point. I just okay accept that it's there in my history, my brain right. history, apes in heat. Uh, sure. So when it, okay. so there's like an external part to the sex organ, and that's that's part of how like it, like a lot of animals know that other like females of the species are in heat is because there's like an external part of the sex organs. You know, like with apes, it's like you know there's this part that gets like big and red. <laughs> Stop slobbering and, when you talk about this. Big and red. Jesus. <laughs> Holy shit! This episode is fucked up. Um, yeah, okay, baboons, sure. But they get this big red, like, sex organ on the outside, and that's how, like, the males know, ooh, this, uh, this one is in heat, ready for loving. And, um, humans don't have that because the bipedalism, it changes the structure of the hips, uh, you know, and so the hips go more, you know, straight up and down, like, facing forward, even the pelvis, and so the sex organs, like, retreat fully inside so humans when like when 
uh, women are ovulating, there's no there's no like tell uh, externally for it. So, I mean, you know that I'm perceptive of at least. Uh, and so, God knows we are. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not that in tune with anything. Um, but it's different, and so it's like that. Also, that that change like means that you you don't have to like do you don't have to go from behind anymore because you can go from the front because it's you your your whole body structure changed because you're walking on two legs i don't think that it's like a it's like a you can't just say both are like separate things cuz they're they're so entwined with each other forward facing sex and bipedalism that is Okay. So anything you want to say about ape genitals while we're here? <laughs> Art? <laughs> Got any thoughts um, on ape genitals? No, I mean uh <laughs> I I'm trying I was about to say, so what was your point in all that? Like you're just saying that they're intertwined, they're interconnected so that the the AAT people should really make more note of that? Well, I think that it's kind of misleading to say that, oh, like, we're bipedal, and that supports aquatic lifestyle, but we also can have sex facing forward, which is more like sea sea creatures, because it's like, those shouldn't be, it's kind of like one, one led to the other in evolution. It's not like two separate oh. things that gotcha. happened because of aquatic like you can't you can't say i mean like bipedalism has to be the argument not anything that has to do with how we have sex right because of the, that's all based on being bipedal i got you i'm following you now i'm tracking yeah oh boy um Hey, bunk funkers, make sure that you sign up for Andy's Safari uh, the next time he <laughs> offers it because it's really something. It's a lot of uh, it's a lot of Andy on a big loudspeaker being like, "Oh man, look at these two lions; they're about to fuck." Oh wow! Oh yeah, you see that giraffe? That giraffe's in heat. <laughs> and uh, you get, you know someone raises their hand. Uh, it just kind of looks like it's eating. No, no, no. That thing wants to bone. Uh. Ooh, look at those hyenas! Ooh, baby, they're in heat. Oh yeah. Can I? Can I tell? Can I tell a real? Story? Tips are appreciated. <laughs> Tips of anything. <laughs> uh, can I tell you a real story, Art? <laughs> oh, that okay. Now I'm getting the real stories. All right. So yes, yesterday my my family we went to the zoo. Uh, That's right. And uh, we saw a few animals. We were there for a little while, not very long, but. Uh, we get to see a few animals. Uh, one of the first things we saw was uh, the zebra, Grevy's zebra. Uh, there's an enclosure with with two zebras in there, and uh, they have like a a ball of hay suspended from a tree branch. Uh, the zebra can like you know lift its head up and eat out of. Uh, and the zebra was there eating, and we get to see the zebra eating the hay. Uh, the zebra's in profile, and I'm like. That's the male zebra. And I, you know, my son was asking questions about the zebra. I said, you can see it's a male. Look, there's his penis. So. It's art. Life mirroring art. Then the other zebra, clearly a female, no penis. 
how you can tell. <laughs> Fastest way to identify an animal species, male versus female, <laughs> is there a penis? Not always the not always easy to find. Sure, but you can tell on this zebra. <laughs> yeah, the zebra was packing. Yeah, this was a well endowed zebra. Were you getting a little embarrassed? Yeah, I felt the I felt the heat. I said, "Let's move along." Yeah, don't look at that, honey. <laughs> Let's go somewhere where don't, the animals have smaller don't penises. Get any ideas? I have my ape genital porn. You can't look at zebra genitals. <laughs> then later we came back around, and then that zebra took a shit while we were watching it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! You got two of your favorite things in one trip to the zoo. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good day. It was great. Best trip to the zoo in my life. All right. Okay, I think it's time for verdicts um, here. Uh, so <laughs> I don't even know. I don't know how to segue out of that. Um, I think. Uh, I think it's highly plausible that that ancient. Humanoids, hominids, whatever the fuck. Australopithecus. Australopithecus. Pithecus. Had some kind of maybe semi-aquatic. I could see that. Coasts do provide a good source of food. Um, predators do tend to keep away from the water in most cases, but for good reason, because the water is dangerous. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it doesn't always mean oceans either, right? Like, Aquatic can mean a swamp, it can mean a marsh, it can mean a lake, it can mean it can mean lots of different things. You know, a creek, a stream, there's all sorts of things. Sure. It doesn't just mean ocean. Right. Um, you know, I mean, each of those pose their own problems, but like, we can see that even modern day apes wade through the water, will go into the water. It's not the craziest thing in the world. We do have an ability to control our breathing. And it's very advantageous. We have good lungs, which are advantageous for running long distances, but also, yes, diving. Um, there are, uh, I got, I just watched this, this silly doc. Well, it wasn't that silly, but it's this documentary series on Netflix called Home Game. And it's like these different uh, weird extreme sports from various places all over the world. And one of them is uh, free diving. Mm-hmm. And there's the, uh, oh God, I want to <clears throat> say the... Uh, yeah, it's um so it's the uh the Sama uh Bajau, um or just formerly maybe just Sama people. Um anyway, they 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 do so much free diving. Um they they are kind of like nomadic and they uh lived on the oceans, they make a lot of their money um you know fishing and doing stuff like that, but they, they free dive and free diving is such a part of their culture and their, um, their adaptations that they actually developed bigger spleens. They have bigger spleens than normal people. Yeah. And, um, they can dive. I mean, they can dive really fucking deep. It's unreal how deep they can dive under the water and like hunt for fish and stuff. And so, I guess what I'm trying to say with that is that like, you know, if if some modern day kind of people can do that kind of crazy free diving with no gear, I mean, it's not I don't know if it's that much of a stretch to say that maybe 
some of our ancestors also learned how to do that mm-hmm. as well. I mean, we do have the ability to breathe really deep. And, but anyway, I don't know that. That's just me kind of talking out of my ass. But <laughs> Another, you know, yeah, another okay, maybe... interesting trait that's adapted uh, for humans, the <laughs> yes. ability to talk out of the ass. <laughs> yes. And it may make sense that bipedalism kind of developed from maybe walking in the water and then they kind of learn like, oh, shit, this is kind of useful standing up straight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. Tall grass, water as well. You know, maybe they both worked in tandem. So what I'll do is I will give semi-aquatic, you know, ancient hominids hunting on the coast, maybe doing a little bit of free diving, you know, eating fish, doing that kind of thing. Semi-aquatic, I'll give a plausible plus. Okay. The idea that we were fully aquatic peoples, you know, swimming around and we turned into mermaids or that we spent a good amount. I mean, I'm talking hours in the water. Mm-hmm. No, I'm saying plausible minus minus on that one. Um, yeah. And I think those are my verdicts. Okay. I like those verdicts. Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go kind of similar, I guess for, Aquatic ape hypothesis. I'm going just straight down the middle, plausible. Um, wow. Because I think that there are probably some learned behaviors and skills that have been passed down um, that have maybe conditioned human beings to kind of like the water. I mean, a lot of human civilization revolves around being near water, having supply of yeah. readily available water. And that's all part of like humans living together in groups. I mean, the groups got bigger. Those turned into like towns and cities and, you know, eventually what we have today. And it's still water is the thing that, that turns on. I mean, we can't live by the ocean side though, completely. I mean, salt water is a non-starter. So there has to be some connection to fresh water. And I think it just it just makes sense that, yeah, probably early humans did eat fish and stuff, but I don't know that it's I don't know that it's so impactful on our evolution that it that it has to be an ancient ancestor. I mean, and one thing's for sure is that, you know, we've we've seen this before in research that we've done that human evolution is going faster now than it ever has. So in the last like hundred thousand years, evolution, the pace of it has really like sped up for human beings uh, because, you know, living in big groups leads to greater uh, diversity in the gene pool that leads to more favorable mutations becoming more quickly assimilated into the general culture. I mean, today, more than ever, people are connected from all over the world. It's really easy to, to like advance evolution of, of human beings way more so than other animals. So it's not totally out of the line to think that maybe there are some adaptations that became favorable because we had to live in proximity to water for the most part. Um, right. So I think that there's something there and I definitely think that it should be more explored while I think that a lot of the key points that um, AAT folks put forward maybe don't make a lot of sense. It's still probably worth looking into by the actual scientific community and giving a fair hearing because uh, maybe there is something there. Uh, maybe there's something we can learn. I think overall the academic community should be more open to this stuff. Uh, 
things that are maybe considered to be pseudoscience probably deserve a more of an opportunity to be heard um, by actual scientific minds in appropriate scientific forums uh, rather than just being dismissed out of hand. Uh, so I'm plausible on aquatic ape hypothesis, but I think it deserves a look. Wow. Wow, what an eloquent verdict from the man who just earlier was literally <laughs> drooling on his shirt about a baboon's bright red ass in heat. Um, what a verdict. Hey, Bunkfunkers, those are our verdicts. Let us know what you think. Um, use the hashtag. Oh, I mean, God. what do you got, Andy? <laughs> um. I, I mean, I want to say hashtag erotic ape, but... Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> hashtag erotic ape. Definitely, you will definitely use that hashtag. Uh, hashtag bonobros. <laughs> bonobros. And let us know what you think about the aquatic ape theory, mermaids, whatever. Yeah. Um, send us an email, mrbunkerpod at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Uh, find us on Twitter and Instagram at mrbunkerpod. Um, find us on our Patreon and consider becoming a supporter to get a new episode of our Patreon only show and in our debunked every month, go to patreon.com slash Mr. Bunker pod. And you can find our website, Mr. Bunkers, conspiracy time.com subscribe on YouTube, Mm -hmm. Mr. Bunkers, conspiracy time on YouTube. Um, boy, oh boy, this was probably more ape talk. More monkeying around than the than the bunk funkers are used to, huh? Andy? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure when they uh, when they downloaded this episode, queued it up to listen to, they didn't uh, they didn't see what was coming. We kind of threw a monkey wrench in their plans. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> well, you know, Andy, it's time to uh, it's time to go back back from the savannas, back from the water. Yeah. Okay. Pool's closed. Pool's closed. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's time to go back to our little forest, up into our little tree canopies, and head off with our tummies full of the whole enchilada. What do you say? Oh, I think that's a great idea. Let's go back to the big nests we made up in the treetops. Uh, let's go to sleep, snuggled with our families. Okay. And think about you. Uh, think about so, you, Just so, so impassionately talking about how angry swimming babies make you. <laughs> so, for not the titular Mr. Bunker, but for my vivacious. Oh, baby. There's a perf. <laughs> what a great adjective for today. Before my vivacious co host, Andy Hart, I'm Art Stone saying that was the whole enchilada. Ooh. <laughs> Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. <laughs>
Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show. Wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today. And uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts.